Hello, this is Dan Quee, and welcome to Spatial Perspectives. This week, I have Russ Baker, VP of Business Development for Avalon Holographics. Hey, Russ, how are you doing? I'm good, Dan. How are you? Good, good. Nice to see you, and thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having us. So you guys make three-dimensional imagers, so to speak, and um, they're holographic, which is different than what probably most people are used to seeing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So Avalon Holographics, we are a uh, Canadian company and we've got into this whole business with the goal of sort of finally doing 3D properly, I guess would be the simplest way to put it. Uh, and properly in this context to us means holographic displays. Um, and what that means specifically is a display that's going to give you a natural three-dimensional view of whatever the content you're looking at is uh, without, without glasses, without eye tracking, without having to sort of uh, trick your brain into doing uh, different things in your mind to turn it into a 3D image, but actually looks real. Uh, and the way that's done is holographic is sort of the term everyone understands. You're basically intersecting rays in space that look the same as the ones that would reflect off real objects in the, in the real world. Yeah, so we have a we have a video showing side by side comparison uh, 2D and 3D, and I know it's probably difficult for people to see since I'm presenting this on a 2D screen. But why don't you talk through this and what we're actually seeing here? Yeah, sure. So we made this video specifically for the fact that most people see this topic initially on a 2D screen. Uh, so it's going to go through and loop a couple of times here. But uh, the idea is the screen on the left is a 2D display, and the screen on the right is your holographic display. So uh, what you'll notice mostly is as the camera moves around, the camera is supposed to be a viewer. Uh, as you move through that space, you get the perspective shift you would think you would get if those were real objects, which means you know if you move around an object, you start seeing things that are actually hidden behind it. Um, there's a spot here later on when it zooms in, uh, the objects you know, feel like you're getting closer to them, they get bigger. Uh, so that's really the concept behind these displays is you're getting, uh, it's generating essentially a light field and both of your eyes are constantly sampling that light field the same way they do when they look at the real world. And so everything behaves naturally. Yeah, now you made the comment, um, real holographic images versus non-real. What do you consider non-real? Uh, well, so there's a, there's a pretty wide spectrum of things that call themselves holographic and definitely aren't. And then there's some things that call themselves holographic that are at least trying to get close to the, the real deal. Um, so we look at holographic, and there's also a, uh, there's a purist community that would say that holographic only means laser holograms as invented in the <laughs> 1960s. And, and um, I'm sure that, I'm sure that the, uh, the Hollywood uh, um, industry has probably tainted people's idea of what holographic imagery is. Oh yeah, very much so. So that, so that's, that's, then there's just the public perception, like floating light, which is what you've got here. Uh, we, we pretty quickly try to point out that's not really feasible the way it's shown there. And the reason is that nobody knows how to make light just change direction in space. So the idea that you could have things emitted from that table and then suddenly turn around and go in that case towards the camera or also to that guy's eyes um, isn't really feasible. There have been uh, efforts to do that and there, there is a way to do it. We, we kind of joke it's lighting the air on fire with lasers. Um, <laughs> and that sounds as bad as it is. It's, you know, not, it's not really safe, it's high power. Uh, the resolution's not very good. It's very difficult to get colors that you want. Uh, the right. light 
the, the air tends to, uh, you know, it's basically like a tiny lightning bolt in space. So it tends to be blue. Um, so that is one of the things we talk about is not really being possible. It's not that that, you know, I would call that a hologram if it could be done. It's just not possible to do it. Sure. Um, there's a range of things that are just flat out calling themselves holographic, which is nonsense. Like uh, there's these spinning bars of light, uh, LEDs, and that is a transparent 2D screen. Like it spins fast enough so you can't see the bar, but it's just a 2D screen. It's just pixels in space. And, and then you're rendering 3D images on it. So that's not holographic, obviously. Uh, Pepper's Ghost, which is like the Tupac hologram, uh, is also, you know, Michael Jackson at the Super Bowl, a bunch of other uh, cases of right. that. Really cool effects. I, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're not holographic. Those, again, a transparent 2D screen. Um, and then there's sort of a middle ground uh, with companies that are now doing, you could call it half holographic, half parallax displays um, that are solving a portion of the problem. So you get horizontal parallax, which means that each eye is able to sample it. Um, independent views, which is similar to what happens with stereoscopic. However, it's better than the stereoscopic case because as you move left and right, this is the looking glass here, um, you do get that proper parallax shift. So that starts becoming closer to something that would be holographic. Um, the, the tricky part with that, that type of display is uh, as soon as you move uh, vertically, it kind of breaks the illusion. It starts to warp or swim or look unusual because you're not, you're not actually changing the perspective of the scene uh, in that direction. So um, those are, you know, closer, certainly closer to holographic than, uh, than those other examples I gave. And then there's a bit of a messy area around uh, AR. Um, <laughs> yes. so, you know, uh, Microsoft has taken HoloLens and holographic as the term they're applying to that, uh, but it is stereoscopic vision. It's not really giving you uh, intersecting rays of light that your eyes can focus on naturally. So it, it, that one's also in a bit of a gray area. Yeah, so we you, you keep talking about rays of light and intersecting light and that sort of thing. And, and I think maybe a, a graphic will help uh, people understand a little bit better what you're trying to get to. Um, like this this one, which talks about 2D versus the holographic. Yeah, sure. So I can walk you through what this is trying to say. Uh, the, uh, the, what everyone's familiar with, obviously, is uh, 2D displays with pixels. And the, the biggest characteristic of that from a light standpoint is that each of those pixels is putting one color of light out, uh, one color and intensity of light out in sort of all directions, or at least across a very wide field of view um, or viewing angle. So if you look at your HD display, that's about a 2 million pixel display, uh, 4K bumps up to 8 million pixels. And each of those is you know, essentially one color omnidirectional from the standpoint of the display. Uh, in order to build a holographic display, what you need to take that same spot on that 2D display, and instead of having one pixel and one color, you actually need uh, a, a cluster of directional rays. And each of those directional rays needs to be going, I, I show them as cones here because they're not obviously, uh, the, the idea of a ray as a line is, a, is an idealized uh, concept, but basically cones of light going out in all directions from that point so that whenever you move as a viewer, you're seeing the, uh, essentially it's, it's a lot like ray tracing, right? You're seeing what you would see from that point in space through that point on the screen back into the scene. And if you do that with enough rays and they're packed tightly enough together and densely enough, that becomes very, very similar to what you see when you look at the real world and you've got light reflecting at you from all surfaces in all directions at all times. Uh, but your eyes are only sampling a portion of that, and it's the light that's directionally hitting your lenses through and, and being focused on your iris. So that's what we're trying to replicate. Yeah, and, and then I can imagine that 
now that you're replicating it and you're putting these this technology into the hands of the different using group communities, they can start to create those things that we just saw on the bridge of the Prometheus, as an example, on that spaceship, which are which are the light tables like we see here. That's right. Yeah, and, and you'll notice uh, we're pretty careful with these types of videos. Uh, you will notice that the light is always cut off by the frame of the table because we can't make it just float outside the frame. But within that frame, you will see natural depth. So this is a video. Uh, one of the communities is pretty interested in this stuff as defense. So this is a, a concept they've had for a long time or a, a desire they've had for a long time is the digital map table where everything you can perceive the depth naturally uh, and you just look at it and everything just makes sense. Almost like there was a 3D printing uh, live model being updated on the fly. Uh, and that gives you the ability to quickly perceive what's going on and make decisions, which is of course why it's important in their, in their world. Um, they call it the, the idea behind a lot of this stuff now is a, a, a phrase called cognitive dominance, which means the battle is now as much about um, the people in the decision loop making decisions better than their adversaries as it is about, you know, just the hardware. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned cognitive. And so um, I assume that that there's some benefits of using this technology versus wearing a VR headset or some other type of device. Can you can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, there are uh, there have been studies done uh, on a number of fronts and we don't have a full collection of them, but um, some of them have been done using holographic prints, the original laser holograms that I mentioned earlier, uh, because they've been available for a long time. Uh, and they were comparing laser holograms, which are still prints as opposed to digital animations, uh, against 3D renderings on a, you know, on a, in a textbook or on a 2D screen, and found pretty substantive cognitive benefits to the holographic representation. And really what that's about is when your eyes are hit, are receiving the light in a natural way that they're used to, that we all evolved to see, um, you, it's a hardwired process. You're, you, it goes straight into your, your visual cortex and you're not having to do any extra sort of processing to translate that into uh, an idea in your mind of that 3D space. You know, actually, it's funny, I, I played games uh, from time to time in 3D gaming. And after I got into the space and started, you know, no, had more knowledge about this stuff, I can kind of feel it when I'm playing a 3D game that I'm doing extra work to turn that space into some, you know, actual space in my mind. Uh, and you find when you look at, at proper holograms that, you know, it's just clicks immediately. Yeah, now, so um, what, you know, you're talking about, you just mentioned gaming. So yeah. what's the size of these boxes? Can I actually get a 49 inch screen as, or a box that I can do gaming on as an example? Um, so with enough money, anything is possible. <laughs> um, in the, in the, at the moment, we're still in sort of the early stages of the technology. I mean, and that's we as the market, not just, not just Avalon. Yeah. Um, so the, the first generations of these, these displays are uh, essentially, you know, they're fairly custom. They require parts that are not mass produced at the kind of scale we need. So they're fairly expensive. That's our uh, prototype display there. Um, so they're not really sort of affordable for the average person yet. Um, the goal is to get to a flat panel technology that can scale just like the, uh, uh, the 2D TVs we know now, and, and in fact could be manufactured in the same type of flow, and therefore you could get up to high volumes and low costs that we're used to in the consumer market. So consumer is an end goal, uh, but we're, it's going to take a few generations for the market to mature and for the scale to kind of catch up to the technology. So you, you, know, you mentioned that you know, if you had enough money, you could, you could uh, certainly get... Anyone uh, get one any size that you wanted? What what 
applications do you see your technology being applied to it today? Yeah, with the, most of the interest we've had up to now has been from the defense and medical communities. Um, that, those are fairly well known as in this space. I mean, you, you see a lot of activity in that space for AR and VR as well, uh, because they have very obvious three-dimensional problems to solve. And they have this sort of high consequence to the decision-making that's done in that space, which means they're willing to both explore new tech and you know, potentially pay more for it. So that's been the majority of our initial um, engagement and interest. There's actually quite a bit in the industrial side as well. And I use that term pretty broadly. Uh, and it, at that point, it becomes an intersection of which, what point in time in the, in the roadmap and the uh, commercialization plan do the prices fall into their particular business case. So um, some early markets are you know, large format displays, uh, entertainment venues, like you go to a, you know, a theme park and you wanna go into the, the Star Wars bar and see a holographic set up in the corner or something, right? There's, there's, there's specific use cases that can get in early. Uh, and then the broader industry of like, you know, computer-aided design and modeling and simulation, um, that all, that are, they're all kind of champing at the bit for the tech, but it kind of needs to get to some sort of scale before it makes sense for them as a business. Yeah, so I noticed you had a, a video uh, available that uh, showed, a, showed a car uh, almost embedded in a, in a tabletop and I'll, I'll show that video. So I guess it's gonna be a while before I can get uh, afford a couple of these in my home to, uh, to uh, entertain my guests. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be a little while in the sense of, you, especially this type, the idea behind this, con, this is more of a concept than a current product that we're, we're uh, dealing with now, but uh, that's an inset into a tabletop. So you've got a, a display on the bottom and display surfaces on the sides. And what that gives you is sort of a working volume, right? You could actually reach in there. Uh, if you use gesture tracking and haptics and whatnot, you could sort of interact directly with that content. Um, so that really needs the flat panel technology that we're working on. Uh, before it's sort of practical, even just from a size and form factor standpoint. Um, but so it'll be a, it'll be a few years yet before you're you know getting these things in the let's say in the thousands of dollars per display range as opposed to higher numbers than that. So where are you in production of uh, these devices? Uh, so we've got a prototype display now. We've got our second gen coming out next year. Um, these are a bit bulkier, like they're not the full flat panel technology yet. We're still using a projector-based technology uh, because we could buy them off the shelf. And, and that lets us basically, the first was sort of a uh, prototype proof of concept. Uh, the second gen is an actual product for specific market requirements that, that we have from our, our sort of key engagements. Um, and then the goal over the next few years is to flip to the flat panel technology as it matures. And what for anybody listening that's outside or not familiar with the emerging technology market, the spatial reality market, um, if they want to get in touch with you, uh, how best to do that is, or are you looking for additional partners? Probably a better question. We're, we're, we always, we're happy. I love talking about this stuff with pretty much anyone. Uh, we sometimes get, you know, obviously you get into conversations that get a little strange when, when it's an early tech and somebody's like ready to go and, and deploy it and, in, on mass, but uh, yeah, reach out to us uh, via our website, or uh, you can email me directly at russ.baker at avalonholographics.com. Um, we're always happy to talk to people, whether it's in the you know end user community or partner community. Um, it's it's it, we're, a lot of this is evangelizing. It's a new it's a new tech space. Um, so us and a few other companies that are in this space 
we're all, you know, we all see each other at all the same shows. We know each other pretty well. Uh, and it, we're all kind of in a market creation mode. So, so we're happy to uh, talk to anyone that's interested in learning more. Yeah, you, you mentioned shows. Uh, and since a lot of the shows have been shut down due to COVID, are you doing any type of virtual conferences or anything that uh, people can uh, see and uh, learn more about your, your products? Uh, we have been attending some virtual conferences. They have been, you can imagine for this kind of technology in particular, they don't work very well because the key is seeing uh, right. in person and it doesn't translate well to 2D. So we haven't, uh, we have participated in some shows, mostly uh, targeted it to the specific communities we're, we're dealing with now. Um, we're pretty eager to get back on the road and demo the prototype. We, we got through a set of demos. Uh, I actually was, I was actually in the US the week that everything started locking down doing a set of demos, uh, just got back home and we were able to get around in the fall here in Canada with a few of our uh, local partners and, and do some demonstrations. But uh, we got a lot of sort of pent up interest in seeing the display. So we're really looking for yeah. the opportunity to get out live. So, so when do you think we can actually get uh, a tabletop holographic display similar to the bridge of the P Prometheus so we can actually play those things like that? Uh, next year, we'll have the first, uh, the second gen technology, which, uh, you know, there's, there's multiple configurations, but it is, it is possible to configure it as a map table. Uh, and so it'll be, and it's a scalable technology, like we have specific specs in mind, like the, the size we built for the prototype. And that first generation will be a bit bigger than the prototype, about a 50 inch uh, display, but it can be scaled up. So if somebody wanted something bigger, again, you're back down to uh, really just a question of sort of cost for, uh, for yeah. the size. Well, we're looking forward to it. I, I know I just bought, because of all this, the virtual nature of these meetings, I bought a 49-inch monitor. So I guess yours yeah. will be the next one I'll have to look at getting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, been, uh, I've been working off of several screens for a long time. <laughs> uh, but if I had known I was going to be spending a year and a half at home, I probably would have invested in an even bigger one. There you go. Well, I want to thank you, Russ, for being on the show. And I hope this provides some valuable insight to folks that might not be familiar with your technology and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Dan, appreciate it. Okay, thank you.